My name is Nathan, on staff here at CFC. It's a pleasure to have you here, both uh, visitors from Embassy and visitors uh, unrelated to either church, CFC or Embassy. We welcome you. I can tell you, as the man to preach tonight, I was really nervous when I showed up at 6.20 to a packed parking lot. Like, oh man, I must have missed it. Uh, I'm going to have to have a brother fill in for me there. Um, but it is a pleasure, uh, pleasure to get this opportunity to preach. I, I, uh, I must share this with you. It's a, it's a fun fact that I hold dear to my heart. My first sermon here at CFC was on a Good Friday. And uh, with us moving next month, this will probably be my last sermon here at CFC on Good Friday. Not to make a sad note, and I don't want to make it about me, but I feel that's special. That's special to me. I really loved it, and I appreciate the time to do it again. So let me pray, because this effort to preach is not mine. It's the Lord in me. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a Savior worth praising. What a Savior! Lord, as we approach your word, may we look at it and, and hear it and read it to be changed. Lord, may I get out of the way. May your spirit speak through me so that these people not hear the words of Nathan, but hear your words. Lord, indeed, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you tonight. As we look to read and to learn, be sanctified by what forgiveness is. Lord, may you be blessed. In this time, may we be blessed by your presence here, by your word. It's in Christ, the one who died, we pray. Amen. If you please turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Passages from that chapter, Luke 23. You may or may not know that uh, as we celebrate Good Friday and look at uh, the story of the crucifixion, what Jesus did on the cross, you may or may not know that there are seven sayings of Christ as he's on the cross. They are throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of them that you might be familiar with are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or, it is finished. We're looking at one of those seven saints tonight. It's one that you may be familiar with. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You may have heard this passage and took from it that, oh, God is a very forgiving God, and he is. We need to understand exactly what Jesus meant when he said that. When he prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is Jesus just brushing by ignorance? Was everyone there saved? Was only one or two people saved? Did the Father hear him or not? 
What exactly does that forgiveness mean? We need to hear it because if we misunderstand forgiveness, we misunderstand this verse, one of the final sayings of Christ on the cross, one of two things may happen. Either one, you think you're forgiven and you're not. It's like, oh, I, it doesn't matter. I don't need to know a whole lot. I'm forgiven no matter what I do. I'm set. Or, you are forgiven, but you don't believe it. You're not assured of your forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, but surely he didn't mean me. Surely I'm too ignorant. Or, I know what I did. Forgiveness is only for those that did it unknowingly. So as we look at this passage, we need to keep these questions in mind. What does Jesus mean what was he praying for exactly? And how does that become realized, this forgiveness in our lives? Let's turn here to this final saying of Jesus, one of the seven, as we read in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And here it is, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. We'll pause there. This monumental verse, what some may pick as their favorite verse, maybe fifth place after John 3.16, and uh, I can do all things through Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. I think this reveals a couple important things about Jesus here. One, you may Remember, just from this service, passage from Psalm 22, verse 18. It says this, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And here they are, casting lots for his garments. Jesus is the righteous sufferer of Psalm 22. So we learn that about Jesus. That he's suffering, but righteous. So he's fulfilling this prophecy from Psalm 22. But we also learn that Jesus, in his prayer, how compassionate, how merciful he is, how kind and loving. Jesus, who's taken with criminals and crucified outside the city. I could go on about the details of crucifixion. The rather... Rather difficult to hear. Not that I'm afraid to talk about it, but I don't know that we need much description to imagine how horrific such a death might be. Stripped of his clothes, embarrassed in front of all who would walk by and see him. They tended to do these things at the entrance of cities so that people would make 
make sure that they would be seen by everyone who would enter in and leave as a warning. Oh, man. How horrific that would be. <laughs> Maybe we can skip forward. I can get my notes ahead of time. <laughs> That's okay. But this horrific event, pierced, beaten man, unrecognized as a man, mocked and scorned, And yet Jesus prays for forgiveness, for they know not what they do. He's living out the teaching that he gave his disciples from uh, chapter 6 of this same book. Luke 6 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Merciful and loving Lord, crucified, thanks to intercede for those who are abusing him, mocking him. He prays for forgiveness. So we see that forgiveness in this passage is star- starts out with Jesus' intercession for them. Jesus intercedes by praying that the Father forgives them. Even though they know not what they do. Even though they are ignorant. But Jesus, are they really ignorant? Do they not know who you are? They know exactly where you're from. They know the things you've said. And they still purposefully scheme to get you killed. Are they really ignorant? Is Jesus here proposing that, uh, that these people get exonerated because of this? You know the, the saying here, ignorance of the law is no excuse? Well, on the face of it, Jesus seems to say otherwise. Is ignorance of the law an excuse? Well, I don't think Jesus is making excuses. I think out of his love for these people, he intercedes to the Father on their behalf. We're going to see to what extent this prayer uh, applies to these people. Are they all forgiven? Are they truly ignorant? Do they get a free pass? So forgiveness begins with the merciful intercession of the righteous sufferer. But what about these ignorant ones? What about those watching? The ones that divide his garments? Are they truly forgiven? Let's keep reading. We see here, verse 35, And the people stood by watching. So we have a group of people watching Christ crucified up there, suffering with two criminals on either side, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. Okay, so this is a first of of four types of these people, right? So we have a group of people. We're going to see the rulers, 
the soldiers, and the two thieves. Here are the rulers. These Jewish rulers, the the priests, Pharisees, and so on. They scoffed at him, middle of verse 35, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Ha! These rulers who know the scriptures, who know the things that Jesus uh, was saying about himself, they knew these things. They knew the prophecies. Well, if he is really all those things, let him save himself. They thought they knew what the Christ was to be, the anointed one, the Messiah. Surely this can't be him. This can't be the way. If he was truly the Messiah, truly the Christ, he would come down off of that cross. How embarrassing. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So they scoffed. Yet with all their knowledge, I think it's fair to say that they are ignorant. Ignorant to who Jesus actually is. Jesus actually is the Christ, the anointed one. Second group, verse 36, first the rulers, now the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And unless you think that's a, hey buddy, get a drink, refresh yourself. I believe they're just trying to prolong his suffering to mock him, say, oh here king, have a drink. Verse 37 saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Jesus claimed to be king. Well, who did the Romans have as their king? Caesar. If this man really is king, if he's worthy of worship as king, if he fits that claim on the board above his head, may he come down and save himself. Because that's what our Caesar would do. They did not recognize. They were ignorant of the power before them. This man really was king. And finally, the first criminal. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Another way that the Greek word behind railed at him be understood is the the theme of blasphemy. He blasphemed against him, railed at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Repetition of what the Jewish rulers were accusing Jesus of not being. But weirdly, he says, not only save yourself, but save us too. Isn't that good? Don't we want sinners to say, save us, Lord? But he didn't didn't care about the state of his soul. He wanted to be saved from the physical torment of the cross, the embarrassment. Save yourself. Aren't you embarrassed? Don't you hate this? I'm right here with you. I know what it feels like. Can this be over? The rulers, the soldiers, and this criminal, all ignorant of the one they were mocking. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So are they forgiven? The great mystery of Christ is before their eyes, yet they do not believe. Having ears, they do not listen. Having eyes to see, they do not understand. But the Christ is before them, claiming his kingdom. We might see ourselves in some ways in the shoes of the rulers, the soldiers, and of this first criminal. Do you rely on your knowledge about scriptures to coast through life, to appease God, that maybe if I know enough about scripture, if I go to church enough, if I do enough soup kitchen help, if I put a dollar in the offering plate, then I'll be saved. This is the way Christians save themselves. Or do you rely on the powers of this world to keep you safe? Trusting in governors, Congress people, the president to keep you safe. There is my salvation. That is how we make things right. Through electing the right officials. Or with the criminal. Do we seek wealth, affluence? As soon as I make another paycheck, I'll be set. If only I had enough money, Lord, I could be fine. I would do things to serve you. Lord, all this torment. I was told if I had enough faith that I wouldn't feel pain. So why don't you save me? Those are not where salvation comes from. So I would, I would warn you that if you f- try to find salvation in those things, if you remain in the ignorance that those things can save you, money, relationship, government, knowledge, if you remain in that ignorance, you are not forgiven. I'll just come out and say, I don't think these three here are forgiven. Then you might be asking, well, Nathan, why did Jesus say, Father, forgive them? Did he not say that? Weren't they forgiven? Assuredly not. At least not at this point. Maybe Luke didn't record a later on occurrence of their salvation. I know soldiers in other gospel accounts say, surely this was the Son of God. Maybe they were forgiven, some of them, but here it's recorded, as it's recorded, I would say, no, they're not forgiven. Well, was Jesus' intercessory prayer ineffective? What what was the point of Jesus' prayer then? Did it not do its job? I would say, not for these people. Not that it, I want to be clear, it's sufficient to save the rulers, the soldiers, and that criminal. It has the power to save. But yet it did not. And I'll tell you why they didn't receive that forgiveness. Because there is an established order in Scripture, and even in Luke already at this point, that forgiveness has an order. Something must proceed 
forgiveness. Forgiveness has conditions. It might be shocking because so many messages, maybe in some churches, some books, some Facebook videos might say, forgive and forget, or uh, just forgive everyone and life will be all better. And surely I call you to forgive those who sin against you. But it's conditional. Scripture does not teach that when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, that everyone is saved. So why? What needs to happen? I think we'll see that with the second criminal. We'll see that the second criminal, that Jesus' intercession for forgiveness is effective for him. Not because of anything he did. Let's just read it. We'll get to it. It says this in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now let's hold up for a second. We read a verse tonight up on the screen that said both criminals wagged their heads at him. Both Matthew and Mark say this. First, I'll start with Matthew. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Again, plural, the robbers. Mark 15, 32 says, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What changed in this criminal? This criminal that reviled Christ, wagged his head at him, mocked him, is now saying, do you not fear God? Where do you see the change in this criminal? What did he do? He did nothing. The thing that changed this man's heart wasn't a thing. It was God. The Father revealed the truth to him because of the intercession of Jesus, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This thief that did not know what he did now knows. It's like, oh, Oh, hey man, do you not fear God? I know what I said just moments ago, but don't you see it now? Don't you see it? This is the Christ. Do you not fear God? Why would you say that? Do you not fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? Are we... uh, and, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The second criminal mocked Jesus, but not anymore. He's no longer ignorant because the Father revealed it to him. John 
6.44 says this, No one can come to me, that's Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father revealed this to the criminal. Saying, this is the Christ. Not just someone that thinks he is. This is the Christ. Jesus' intercession was effective for this criminal. Now why did the Father choose this one? Not the other one? I don't know. Nothing that the thief did. Why didn't the Father choose the rulers, the soldiers? Not sure. I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. We can only rely on God's grace as the answer as to why this criminal saw Jesus for who he is. God in his lavish grace. Now this does not excuse human responsibility. The the criminal did do something in response to God that is necessary. And let's look more closely at his response, how the, what the Father revealed to him. What is it that was revealed? Well, let's see that the content of the revelation is exposed in his confession. He says this, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? First, that was revealed to him, was that God is to be feared. Feared as the just condemner of sin. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. These criminals and Jesus himself were under condemnation. The condemnation of God. It was just. It means that God should be feared. He also recognizes this. This was revealed to him. Verse 41. And we indeed justly For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He confessed, I'm a sinner. I deserve this cross. I deserve the condemnation of God. Two minutes ago, I was mocking the Savior. I'm a thief, a criminal. The Romans used to usually reserve the cross for some pretty heinous crimes. So it doesn't take much speculation to see that these guys probably deserved it. And he's confessing that now. That not only one, is God to be feared as the just condemner of sin, but two, I deserve it. I am a sinner. And the third thing revealed to him by the Father is that Jesus didn't. The end of verse 41, but this man has done Nothing wrong. This man's done nothing wrong. Jesus, innocent, though numbered with the transgressors. Saw back in, uh, in Luke. <clears throat> Luke uh, 22. Jesus himself said this, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. As he was nu- and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus himself, Isaiah, we re- heard earlier, 
that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors, though he was not one himself. A substitution. Taking the place of sinners. This criminal recognized that. He says, I am a sinner, and he's here with me in a place that I deserve. No way. And not only that, but under the condemnation of the wrath of God, it's so important, church, that we hold to what's called penal substitution. That Christ was under the penalty of sin. Though he did not sin, he became sin for us as our substitute to atone for sins. So this criminal was revealed to him by the Father who Jesus is. The innocent Lamb of God. He confesses that. So it's revealed to him. Jesus intercedes for him to receive forgiveness. The Father reveals it to him and he confesses. Now he repents and cries out for salvation. He says, verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, I'm the one who needs saving. Not Jesus. You notice the rulers, they say, save yourself if you're the Christ. The soldiers say, save yourself if you're king. The criminal says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us from this pain. And the other criminal says, you are the Christ, save me. He knew Jesus was there for a reason. Jesus didn't need saving. He was there in obedience to the Father. He could have come down if he wanted to. But he was there, getting his kingdom in order. And he said that. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew Jesus wasn't going to be done there. That death would not be the end for this king. He did not question, trusted, yet faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is as the Father reveals him. Hearkening back, I believe, to John 6.44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus says, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 43, here in Luke, and Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, giving assurance to this one who cries out, remember me. Remember me. And that's not just to say, hey, tomorrow will you think of my name? Put me down on the list. Remember me. Covenantally, remember the one who was broken. And Jesus says, yes. Truly, truly, it is a fact. Amen. I say to you, I, the King, I, the Christ, I, the righteous sufferer, 
I, the one who shows you love and mercy, say to you, a sinner, you will be with me in paradise. We are reconciled. You have received forgiveness. The conditions have been met. Jesus interceded. The Father revealed. The sinner confessed and repented. And the relationship restored. Truly, you will be with me, with me, in paradise. The criminal said, Jesus is with me? On the cross? No. That should not be. Save me, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, well, you're going to be with me in paradise. The criminal could not have been in paradise with Jesus if Jesus had not been with him on the cross. What a Savior. And how beautiful it is that we get to take communion here in just a few short moments. How we look at the body and the blood of Jesus, these symbols. We take it. The scripture says that when we take it, we proclaim his death until we come again. So as we hold it, we can say that this man died for me. That because Jesus remembers his people, we can remember him at this meal. That we look forward to that day when we are with him in paradise. That we can stand forgiven because of what has been done on the cross that Christ interceded on our behalf under the condemnation of sin. So on one hand, I urge you those that remain ignorant, repent. See what God has done in the word. See the symbols in the bread and the juice. Repent. Stop your mocking. Quit claiming Christ and Lord when you have not been saved by him. And for those that are saved and not assured by the forgiveness you have received, hear the words of Jesus. Truly, I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. Not because of what you've done, but because of what the Savior has done. It's not my body, my blood on this table. For I'm a sinner, deserving of condemnation. It's the innocent one who tells me I'm forgiven. The king. And if the king says you're forgiven, you are. Let me pray. Father, give praise to you that you have revealed Christ as King to us. Lord, that the intercession of Christ is effective for those who repent. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That as we take this cup and this bread, as we hear your words, 
that we can have assurance of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for those that aren't forgiven yet, that you would reveal it to them. Lord, show your grace to them. May they repent of their sin, confess that Christ is King, and be forgiven. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.